Are you a scaling SaaS founder? Ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds and those who don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel Podcast, where meetings are like a perfectly brewed espresso. Short, strong, and leaving you energized for what's next. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you grow from traction to scale. Here, growth is more than just numbers. It's about crafting a future-proof company, premium valuation, and leaders who build a business of significance while living epic, adventurous lives. Oh, yes, meetings. You can't live with them, and you can't live without them, right? You ever had a meeting that completely energized you, fired up your team? Like when you walk out, every single person was feeling 10 feet tall, ready to take on the world. Why can't every meeting be like that? You know, uh, it would be awesome, right? But of course, we know most of them aren't. Most meetings are, are you know, beatings. <laughs> it would probably be a better term for it. But what if I told you there's a secret sauce to making meetings not just bearable, but actually powerful and productive? So picture this. You walk into a meeting and everyone's on point. Discussions are sharp. Decisions are made. And you're out before your coffee gets cold. Sounds like a pretty good dream, right? Well, not quite. It's all about wielding the mighty power of scorecards and focus KPIs. Think about Atlassian. They're not just about creating collaboration tools. I know a lot of you guys use them. We do as well. But they have mastered the art of using those collaboration tools by honing in on specific underperforming areas, ensure that meetings are targeted, discussions are relevant, and solutions are actionable. So it's like having a GPS for your development meeting, no more wandering off on a wild tangents. How do we take that and do that throughout the rest of the business? We want to replicate that process. Number one is to prep your scorecard. Before the meeting even starts, have a clear scorecard ready. And this isn't just any scorecard. It's a laser-focused snapshot of where you stand on key metrics. Every department probably has their own, or they should. For sales and marketing, it might be something like uh, MQL, marketing qualified leads, or sales qualified leads, or deals done, or pipeline turn. Uh, for client success, it may be NPS or churn product. It could be you know, the number of days or application is used daily or monthly. For engineering, maybe it's sprint time or developing features or keeping things on track. How many days, how many times has something slipped? or being pushed back in a project, something like that. But the key is that everyone has a number and clarity on what that number is, why it matters, and what levers to pull to change it. Before the meeting, highlight the areas that need attention so everyone comes in knowing what's on the discussion block. I mean, we're, we're out here to, to make some progress. Number two is we want to keep the discussion KPI-centric. Structure the meeting agenda around those key performance indicators, and that keeps the conversation anchored to what truly matters, and it doesn't get too far off track. It's like you know, keeping your eyes on the prize. In this case, the prize is actionable insights and clear next steps. And then you know, when the meeting's over, we can chit-chat and do whatever else we want to, if we want to. And the third is we want to brainstorm with purpose. And now here is where the magic happens. Now, this isn't a time to gloat over good numbers or beat up bad ones. This is collaboration time. 
So use the meeting to brainstorm specific targeted ideas to close the gap in those underperforming areas. So for example, if something is at a 10, it should be to 15, focus on what would add five points. That's it. Encourage out of the box thinking, but ensure that every idea ties back to improving that specific issue. So, you know, what are 20 ways to get five points this week? And when you make it that laser focus and work on that differential, we're not trying to get 15, just what do we need to do to get that five? By making meetings short, sharp, and KPI focused, you're not just saving time, you're creating a culture of efficiency and accountability. So let's bid adieu to meandering meetings and embrace the era of focused, productive powwows that drive your SaaS business forward. So here's to meetings that leave you feeling energized and inspired. You ready to tackle the challenges head on? Our expert last week was Kenneth Burke, VP of Marketing for Text Request, who has fueled growth from startups to billion-dollar enterprises. He shared his secrets on mastering SaaS marketing and content creation. And our founder last Tuesday was Michael Cam Leitner. He's founder of two SaaS companies, Walls.io and SWAT.io. Michael bootstrapped both companies to large, high-performing teams, executive leadership teams, and he's actually been able to step out of day-to-day -day operations. Great discussion and huge lessons on building a great business that doesn't consume your most precious resource, and that's you. If you missed either of those episodes, go back and give them a listen. My guest today is Mike Adams, founder and executive chairman of Grain.com. You know, when I met Mike, he was telling me about Grain, and my assumption was, yeah, okay, another Me Too app. I see these all the time. And I asked, is it like, uh, you know, Fireflies? Is it like Otter? Is it like these things? And he was very, very gracious, didn't try to sell me or say, no, it's way different than that. He just like, hey, just go try it and see what you think. And I did and actually became a paid user, and I've referred a dozen people over. It's, it's phenomenal. But Mike has deep expertise in go-to-market strategies and generative AI. Leveraging a decade of experience in linking education with technology, he's now pioneering grain to revolutionize team communications by capturing and sharing video call insights. His mission is to foster unparalleled understanding and collaboration within teams and their clients. Welcome, a very brilliant and gracious founder with a phenomenal solution, Mike Adams. Hey, Mike, welcome to SaaS Fuel. Awesome. Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. <laughs> well, tell me about your entrepreneurial journey. Three-time founder. And uh, what has that been like and, and what are you doing today at Grain? Yeah, so I uh, got into startups in 2012, so about 11 years ago. So yeah, I started in startups after my first job. So I graduated college, had one job in consulting, and then said, let's do this startup thing. And actually joined as a first employee to a guy with an idea. And then we became co-founders. And then that company is now still going and is valued in, in, in kind of unicorn status. So I was very fortunate to have my first foray into startups be be really meaningful. My second company is in the education space. I started that in 2016. Um, it, I, I recognized that Zoom was changing what was possible on in terms of virtual delivery of education. And so we created a fully online replacement to college that was one year long and you graduate and become a data analyst on track to being a data scientist. And so actually extremely successful with our student outcomes and sold that to WeWork in 2018. And uh, now our students are 
data scientists at, at Spotify and other wonderful companies, and it's been pretty cool. But that was what led to the insight of Grain was building Mission U, is what the school is called. We had, I recognized that as a venture-backed education, you know, uh, school, we needed to have scalable outcomes, and the way to do that in a qualitative educational environment over video was to record and leverage all of the admissions interviews, coaching calls, lectures, and then it ended up being used for our team meetings, for our one-on-ones, and there wasn't anything in the world to really manage all of that content. And so that's kind of where the grain idea came from. And so we got acquired. I did not join WeWork for reasons that became obvious to the world like a year later, maybe two years later. And yeah, we've been at this for about a five and a half years ever since. It, it's evolved a lot, but the core thesis is the same, is that recorded video meeting conversations are an incredible asset class of data. And we've really had two big boosts that are in the macro that have been nice waves for us to ride. One is the normalization of virtual and remote work that... Yeah. They just accelerated an existing trend towards virtual that I started pushing in 2016 with that online school. And then the second one was even more important, which was the, I would say the core technology to be able to make use of an unstructured data set like transcripts and video meeting data in a way that is honestly like more profound and meaningful and amazing and powerful than I could have ever imagined when I started Grain in 2018. And now a year ago, you had to take your own notes and grain live time stamped at the moment they happened. And now almost nobody does that because you can customize your notes to be taken by AI and output in the exact format you want based on the prompts that you to kind of pull the information out of. I identify all of the competitor mentions or the customer pain that was mentioned in this call. Like you can have that be pulled out in your notes. And it's completely automated and synced to CRM records and stuff. And so that's the journey from beginning till now. So I'll end the ramble, but I think that more or less catches us up. <laughs> that's fantastic. And, and and I'll tell you, when I first heard about Grain, yeah, it was kind of, it was new to me. It wasn't new to the industry at all. I mean, 2018 and, and even thinking back, data scientists, you know, what a great concept back then. And nobody was doing that. Nobody was thinking AI because it was very, very new. There's a lot of things that were upcoming. So very forward thinking. And I think grain is that way as well. And I first heard about it. There's some competitors out there. I knew about those. And you see them show up in Zoom meetings sometimes. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's just another one of those. And, and then I used it. I was like, wow, it's not just another one of those. It, there's some real thought behind it and it's, it's become a game changer. We're using it in our business in a number of different ways. Thanks. Yeah. So I think, it's you very, know, very we've cool. always taken this approach of, of where can the technology go to provide actual value and a recognition that human beings are intrinsically lazy about the work they hate. <laughs> And uh, yes, that's what machines don't really have emotions and, and they are able to do that kind of busy work, quote unquote, for us quite effectively. We just have to be able to think of the meaningful applications and then ultimately take the time to, to set it up and update our workflows because it's easy to just like keep doing the same thing that you've been doing. 
And then there's a better way. Sometimes it's like shocking that you ever did it the way you did it before. And you're like, man, I can't believe I spent four hours a week updating my CRM. It just happens now with better notes than I ever would have taken. Right. That type of stuff. So it's been, it's been a cool, I would say, movement to be a part of and be in the center of. And I would say as far as the LLM revolution, like COVID pushed a lot of remote work. People are going back into office. Like generally though, the proliferation of of video is meetings is here to stay. But man, I feel like it's the large language models really popularized by ChatGPT and OpenAI that if it's the next big wave, it's there was you know, yes. the advent of personal computing, the internet, mobile, and now this. And it's it's that big in terms of its impact. And it's been cool to be right in the middle of that in a meaningful application as opposed to just another wrapper on top and another chatbot. Like it's a really, I would say, a fairly differentiated application of the technology that we really only knew what to 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 do and apply because we've been trying to solve this problem for so long and we recognized that application would be perfect for what our customers wanted. Yeah. 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 And, and I think that really shows in the solution that it is well thought out and it really, it, it's not you know, a newcomer or a, a me too of, Hey, let, let's go solve this problem. There's a lot of thought, a lot of things, a lot of iterations behind it. And I think that's really interesting in the product itself. Yeah. And I can speak to that just a little bit more. One of the things that I feel like is there is a lot of note take AI note taking tools now. The quality differs a lot, but I would say the majority are like pretty. Hey, here's your notes. Here's the summary. Here's the key points. Right. Some, some right. takeaways. Whereas our philosophy has been like nobody really takes notes. Like that is only so useful. That's maybe fifty percent of the utility. What I really want is for the notes to be taken with the information pulled out that I care about based on the meeting type, based on the follow-up work that I need to do, based on the information I'm trying to track, based on the analysis that I'm going to do afterwards, because I followed a structured interview guide where I've asked the same 18 questions to to 10 people. And I want to see what the kind of synthesis of the summary of summaries of all of the answers to this specific question versus that specific question. And being able to have AI be that assistant in a customizable way, I would say that's uh, entirely unique to grain at this moment. I haven't seen or experienced another product that kind of is taking that approach. Whereas it's fairly common to be like, here's the generic AI summary that's even baked into the core platforms like Zoom itself at this point. But I think there's just so much right. more opportunity than that. And and it's really like the bottom of the first inning at best on this new this new chapter of what this technology can do. Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. Just a good use case in the, the survey because you're, you're really taking something that is unstructured data and freeform conversations instead of just saying pick A, B, C, or D. Yeah. But you're able to have those freeform conversations, but then treat it like structured data and look at it across people to really get a summary of what that looks like. So really good use totally. case. I feel like the thing that we've gotten really good at over the last year is the individual meetings and pulling out the right information and pushing it in through workflow. But this next year where things get super exciting is being able to do more like synthesis across meetings, across calls, across. And that sort of work has been possible using very bespoke machine learning models that are, I would say, a, a prior generation to the LLM technologies that's been you know blowing up over the last mm-hmm. year. And 
and, and, and now what you have is this kind of growing utility of the building knowledge. And so if you have a thousand meetings, it's more valuable to be able to find the patterns across them um, and to search and, and, and extract information out than if you only have 10 meetings or 100 meetings. It's, it becomes this increasingly useful repository of data that now you finally have a mechanism to extract the value from. Whereas like prior to this kind of wave of technology, you'd have to like search for it, find it, scan what you're looking for and like hope for the best. And then maybe if you find that like piece of that 15 minute second quote from the customer you're looking for, Grain made it easy to, and still does make it easy to create a highlight clip and share it. But that's about the extent of what was possible. And because it just took so long to go like manually find it. Now you can just ask a question and have that information synthesized across whatever size of, 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 of information repository you're looking at, which is usually a pretty valuable set of information because most of the time what's in these calls is the voice of the customer. It's decisions yes. and the strategies yeah. that have been made. It's your board meetings. It's pretty, pretty valuable content. Yes. And I think you bring up a really good point there is just that the voice of the customer. And so, you know, being able to see that across you know, a wide variety, especially sales conversations, oh, sure. really hear how they're saying, talking about the solution in their own words, talking about the pain in their own words, and then be able to feed that back into marketing and be able to use that. And if you know, people are reading a marketing copy and saying, wow, you know, you're reading my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, um, we talk a lot about superpowers in the Marvel series is I'm going through the Marvel cinematic universe with my 10 year old right now and he's loving it. And you know, nice. the combination of, <laughs> I would say there's Superman and then there's Iron Man. Iron Man doesn't really have these like magical x-ray vision. He's his technology to do incredible things. And it's, we are all becoming Iron Men and women with the, some people would probably think it's fairly boring digital work that we do, but I would say those of us that do it and enjoy it. And it's pretty insane to have superpowers that if you were to just take a snapshot of what you'll be able to do now or in five years from now versus last year or five years before, it it really does feel like magical voodoo. And it's crazy to see yes. how fast the pace is moving. I've never seen technology move this fast. I mean, a lot of things change have been in SaaS a long time, and I've seen a lot of change, but never like this. Yeah. It is going so quick. Totally. Yeah. Well, three-time founder, what lessons have you brought forward from previous ventures that have helped shaped your approach in starting and, and growing grain? You know, two big themes come to mind, and it almost feels like they uh, kind of counteract or contradict each other a little bit. Um, one, I would say, is the foundational one, which is self-awareness. And um, I would say... Um, mindfulness slash um, humility. I, I don't know what I'm, else I'm looking for because you even say something like humility and it's like, well, you know, if, a, if you say it, does it count? Um, I would just say that like emotional <laughs> intelligence and resilience is something I have spent an insane amount of time and energy on because I would say where I was as a founder, you know, 10 years ago was a very different place as a human being than I am now. And I like where I'm at now. A lot of that is that I'm a lot more cool-headed. I'm a lot more rooted in, in, in data and less in emotion. Not as easy to fire up. I would say I'm much more cautious and intentional about the words that I speak because I've 
had them misinterpreted or I would say interpreted. And I didn't mean what I, I didn't mean to say what I said, but I said, and I've had to learn from that type of thing. And that's probably been like, I would say the core journey I've been on over the last 10 years. And yeah, I've learned a lot about SaaS and how to price it and how to market it. And those lessons all come with time, but I would say the personal growth journey has been, I think the most important to the compounding of the foundation I get to build on as a leader, as I go forward for the next decade. And that probably matters more to me than the, the specific business lessons that I've learned. So that's number one. And number two is maybe it was going to sound a little contrary to that is it's very much about listening to others and, and, and respecting and believing others. But I think the other thing I've learned, and this has really been more of a lesson the last two years is that every company has a founder, one founder. I was the co-founder of two companies before, but it wasn't my idea. It wasn't my like thing that I, that came out of my brain and went into the world. I was like the co-pilot to the pilot. And a lot of the dynamics I had with my co-founders is what led to this kind of personal journey that I've had. Right. But learning from them gave me the confidence to be like, okay, it's my turn to be the pilot now. And so grain came out of my previous company my previous network that I had from, I went and raised money right away from someone who invested in my previous company because they believed in me. And what's been interesting and the lessons I've learned, especially over the last two years of the five and a half I've been building grain is that as you're building, it's really important to continue to believe in like your vision, in, in, in your point of view and in your leadership. And if you start to listen too much to the noise of the market or the noise of the team or try to lead by consensus or committee. It's just a recipe for mediocrity at best and and an erosion of self-beliefs and self-confidence. So you, so I would say my, my, my big lesson is the kind of the combination of these two is to grow in as a person, to be open-minded and to be, I would say respectful and deliberate and intentional way you communicate but at the same time, non-relenting at the thing that a founder really needs, and it's the unique thing that they have to offer to a business and to the world, is this like vision and is this uh, belief and point of view and perspective and be unrelenting and uncompromising on the execution against that. And so I would say one way of, I've heard other people describe this as really firm or hard on, on, on the vision and like loose on the details, like how we actually go about it on a day to day, we should be super flexible, but really intentional and deliberate about this is where we're going. And with a high degree of confidence and conviction as a founder, that that is what your job is ultimately tell to your investors, to your customers, to your employees is to lead from that place of conviction and confidence as opposed to getting sucked into the committee of pleasing everybody and all of the worst decisions that I've made from a product strategy place, from a team leadership, from investor relations have been from trying to like please everybody because I've been doing this developed self-development work of trying to become, I would say, a, a more well-rounded person and leader and then not causing that to erode this other almost hubris-based conviction that you have to have as a founder. And to me, that's really the best description of the, of the journey that I've been on over the last 10 years that I feel like I'm carrying with me into the next 10. I like that. So how do you separate the signal from the noise? 
Yeah, the, the noise of people telling you what to do. And, and then, you know, when, sometimes it, it is good advice. How do you square those two? Yeah, it's really good question. I think the only way to square them is to always be open and to make yourself in a place where people can speak their truth, because it is really essential that people feel safe in an environment. And it's not a, what you don't want is to hire people and then have them just close off and not give you the best ideas and not collaborate and not, you did the, the best outcome is going to come from a meeting of the minds and gathering that data. So you have to have this openness towards feeling like people are safe to speak their truth, but then a conviction in that environment also needs to make clear that you will be listened to, but ultimately this is my call as the directly responsible individual for this decision. And I would say a lot of times when that ownership of who's going to make the call gets diluted or confused or messy, that's where you start to end up in this decision by committee. So that's one sign. The other sign is when you feel like you're relenting and it's okay. I've genuinely considered, which is hard to know because we all have a personal bias. So what have I genuinely considered right, somebody else's right. perspective? Or, or <laughs> I think we all have a sense of, of whether we've done that or not, but it's by definition hard to test because you're biased. But sure. once there's this genuine consideration of it, am I ultimately changing my decision that I would make to make someone else happy? Or am I changing it because they made a strong case and I agree with their points? And if you're doing, if you're changing because of the former, bad recipe. If you're changing because of the latter, or, or I would say you're reinforcing yourself because you, or yeah, you're changing because of the latter because they made a good point, then that's a great recipe. So you need to like find that balance to where you're not just relenting for the sake of relenting. Because one of my biggest lessons I've had as a founder is like, when you have responsibility for something, and when your CEO definition, the whole company is your responsibility, you're tired, you're exhausted, you're wanting help. You, so there's this illusion that you can out the accountability of a decision that needs to be made or, or to, be, to be made or a strategy that you're going to pursue to someone you perceive that has more experience in area X, Y, or Z, or someone whose like job it is supposed to be responsible to that. Now, several years have played out. There's definitely some good that has come from that. The economy's down. We probably could have picked it up for quite a bit cheaper than we paid at the time. But I'm ultimately the one holding that bag. And I didn't really want to make that decision, but felt like it was the consensus of what that room at that time wanted to do. And I was like, okay, cool, fine. I'll make the decision. But now I'm holding on to that bag. And the people that had the really strong opinion at the time aren't there now that the other shoe is dropping. And that is an that, that's one specific example that is among, I don't know, five to 10 dozen of these instances that have continued to this pattern. And I don't know why it's taken me so long to learn, but it really has been this, I would say, really profound recognition and, and almost like a rebasing of self-confidence that I've seen that my decisions and my beliefs have been strong more often than they're not. And every time that I've capitulated some ownership to, to someone else and, and felt this illusion of safety that like, oh, this person told me what to do. And then I did what they did. I've ended up having to hold that bag, whether it was a good decision or a bad decision, more often than not as bad as but yeah. when it's a good decision, you want to give yourself credit anyway. But when it's a bad decision, that, that wasn't <laughs> what you wanted to do. 
So the lesson is just take the data, make yourself open and create an environment where people are encouraged to share the data and that they know that, that they're, they don't have the right to force you to make a decision, but your job as the leader is to make them feel heard and to be very clear that it is ultimately like the leader's responsibility to make the decision and then take full ownership over that decision. So say you make, at the end of the day, like I decided to buy the domain and, and it's not the worst decision we ever made. It, it, but in, I would have, if that was something that I was like pounding the table for, I never would have even considered again whether or not it was the right decision, be, even though I, I probably should do that and all leaders should reevaluate the decisions that they're championing. But you definitely reevaluate the decisions where you weren't championing. And it's easy to feel like pointing. And then you just realize, look, that person isn't even here anymore. There's no one to blame but myself for capitulating and not ultimately following my gut. And so that is, I would say, one of the bigger lessons I've learned over the last, especially a couple of years, about like squaring those two and really leaning more into the the confidence I have in myself and taking full ownership over any decision that gets made as opposed to just trying to please someone in a moment. Traditionally, scorecards and KPIs are either crazy expensive to automate or manually done in time-sucking spreadsheets. Champion Leadership brought that into the 21st century with a SaaS solution that is incredibly powerful and currently free. If you would like a SaaS operating system designed to make your business world-class, along with on-demand fractional C-suite team plus a community of scaling SaaS founders, check out Champion Leadership Group. You're stuck at your current revenue level? This is for you. If you feel like the world's best-kept secret, we've got your back. And if you are crushing it out there already, and I've had some great discussions about companies doing that this week, and if you're crushing it, but you know that your company has another gear, this is definitely for you, especially if you're busy. I hear that all the time. Doing great, but I'm so busy. Now is the time to elevate from success to significance. Isn't it time to upgrade from traction to scale? You'll gain access to a fractional C-suite team, a community of scaling SaaS founders, and the SaaS Fuel operating system built into software to make your business world-class and support a premium valuation. You can learn more at championleadership.com. That's where leaders evolve and companies transform. Yeah. How do you share that vision? I mean, you, you, you've got the, the strong vision as a founder. Here's where we're going. How do you share that and communicate it and get everybody else on board, particularly as you start growing and have multiple layers of, of management and bigger and bigger team? This has that kind of like a conundrum baked into it, too, because you need to have a strong vision around where the market's going. I would say that's one of the things I've done best over the last five years. I saw where a market was going. And then it's only been better as a result of a couple of things I didn't see coming. Like I didn't see COVID coming, but that was like a good thing. I didn't see the LLM revolution coming, but that's been a big boost. Firm on the strategy and the vision, I think is that key. But then working on those details and, and being flexible around those details is, is important, but you have to listen to the market. And one of the things that when I think about grain, like we now have a very clear strategy that we didn't have probably six months ago, a year ago. We know exactly who we're trying to sell. We know what price they're willing to pay. We know what features they want. We know where the gaps in our product are. We know what messages we need to send to a very specific buyer for a very specific use case. And I would say before we did that, it was more like grain is for everybody. Everybody should come and use 
grain. Yeah. We still have everybody coming in and using grain, but the difference has been that leading with a point of view has made sure that our best customer, the one that we have the most of, the one that we want more of, that there's no chance that they're going to think, oh, grain isn't for me. While there's a lot of other people that are ripples away from that center that are still like, oh yeah, that grain is for me. We're not going to stop you from buying the product. It's it's bottoms up product led self-serve. Like anybody can buy it at any point. But the more that we've had a strong point of view, the stronger resonance we have with that market. And so it's this kind of balance between, I would say, being so dogmatic about your vision that you miss the market pull. And Hmm. then also at the same time, not being so open with everybody can use this thing and it's for everyone that you dilute your market. You dilute your message to the market, especially amongst the people that would be, that are pulling it out of you. But Maybe you're just so like laser focused that you didn't even notice. Like I will say we have a deep focus on the sales use case now for very intentional and deliberate reasons. As we've seen grain land expand, spread across an organization, we've recognized that the whole thing revolves around like really nailing that sales team. It doesn't have to start with the sales team. It can start with the product manager. But at the end of the day, if we don't own the sales team, then it's not going to be the the type of account that we want. And that is something that has come from just like really paying attention to the market and asking specific questions of our customers and then reacting to that pull of the market. And, but at the same time, over five and a half years, we've never really pivoted like the same core thesis that drove grain at the beginning is the same core thesis that drives it today. It's just, I would say our strategy inside of it has been pretty like reactive to the market in, in a good way without necessarily being like, oh man, let's go chase this completely other direction and, and leave that foundation we had. So that's how I think about striking the balance there between sticking to your guns and your vision, but at the same time being like adaptable and sensing to this really magical, mysterious thing called the market. But you definitely have been very strong in foresight and really just being able to see the future and see where things are going and get ahead of it. What trends do you see now shaping the startup landscape, shaping business over the next few years? And how can other entrepreneurs stay ahead of the curve, ahead of the curve? You know, that is a really good question. And I would say this is the murkiest market <laughs> conditions I've ever seen. <laughs> Because the technology is so powerful, but so new. And yes, much like self-driving cars in 2018 or whatever that were supposed to be the only things on the road in a year and a half from now or whatever Elon was saying at the time, there's definitely some component of like overhype. And so you have to be careful of not skipping and missing a market opportunity because it's, oh, that's inevitable and that job's going away, for example. It might take 10 years for that right. job to go away. And if you're the software platform that ultimately captures the value by providing the service that makes that job go away, and then those people who used to do that job now have some other job, or they are using your tool to augment their job. It, it is a fairly murky market right now, but it's really the trend I've seen is that everyone will always say that the inevitable out logical outcome of, of a technical shift is going to happen sooner than it than it probably is 
10% of things are going to happen faster than you expected. And those are the ones everybody over-indexes on. They're like, oh my gosh, it's like crazy. I can't believe it's doing that. But the other 90% things are are, are generally going to take much longer. We're still probably 10 years away from truly self-driving cars, even though it's been, you know, five years since it, it, it said it was, you know, it was just around the corner and it was going to happen. So that's that's how I think about the, the, the market. And I can get more specific about um, sort of the details there, but with regards to the large language models and this kind of like agents trends, you know, like with the, everything that a human being does today that an AI agent is going to do is just going to take some time. I don't think that's going to happen when a year from now, two years from now, it's more likely that the progression is that agents will, AI agents will augment existing driven workflows. That it, I would say is, it is inevitable that the human-driven workflows will be replaced by some sort of AI agent. But the timeline to do that is, is pretty dang probably a lot longer a lot longer. Yeah, I think you're you're right about that. Is it's, it's definitely coming, but it, it, there are things like that will take longer. I think probably 20 years ago we thought with the the invention of the internet, newspapers wouldn't be around anymore. Here we are, 25 years later, and they're still here, and they're definitely winding down, but they haven't gone well, away. Well, they've just and a lot of it has shifted. Like newspaper is a medium, but the media is the like the, the news is different than the newspaper, right? And the news is never going to go away. It's just yes. the medium yes. at which it's delivered. And also yep. the opinions around its reliability, its trustworthiness. So a lot of those things have been part of the medium shift because it's in a different, the news is happening in a different context than it was 100 years ago when, when the newsies right. <laughs> you know, were, were running around town. Exactly, exactly. How do you see generative AI changing the the way that we work, the way that we do business, the way that we create? I think that generative AI is insanely powerful in two directions. One is as a creator tool to extend the creative power that is driven ultimately from the pattern matching and the, I don't know, creative potential of the human mind and the second is more of automation of the busy monotonous work that human beings like find mind numbing have to do because cognitive work do the job and that'd be something like note taking or crm updating in, in the world that i live in and grading provides but i personally there's an interesting quote from one of the core leaders at uh, really the, the chief officer at open I, where he was asked, like, you know, quick preamble to this quote is how generative AI and large models really work. They are uh, trained from the corpus of um, knowledge human beings have created, mostly textual, but now bringing image and video. And then it's a machine learning models and, and, and algorithm processes that can basically mimic and replicate and generate an outcome off of a prompt similar to if you were to give a human instruction a model instruction and it's predicting most likely the right answer for the next word or the next paragraph in a story 
and the black pixel in, in an image. And, but it really rooted off of, and I would say, the existing corpus of human creation and you know, observation in the natural world. And so what the chief research officer at AI was saying in response to this question is that open that, that, that these generative models may have the potential to create in the same way you would think a human being is creating, even though they are trained off of the human creation, what we're seeing increasingly more is AI generated training data, right? That looks and feels a lot like the human inputs. What, what you're also able to see is a setting up of one of these large language models to to model a creative thinker and then act as that creative thinker would act. And then depending on the prompt and the context of the job to be done or the problem to be solved, it, it may be able to actually produce unique and novel insight, even though all it's really doing is predicting what the next uh, statistical out- output would be based on the training data it has from the past. So it's this weird kind of conundrum that we don't really know, but it is, it's, it's fully possible that the generative AI models that we're playing with can actually be better than human beings at this kind of unique creative work. But I think what is inevitable in the immediate term, like right now, and I've been experiencing this, whether it's my product or mid journey or whatever it is, I'm using generative AI as a thought, as like a brainstorming partner as, okay, let, I in this yes. direction, give me 10 ideas. And it's been extremely useful for them. And it's just one more kind of logical step for those models to to play the role that I'm playing in that creative process. And, and And it certainly seems possible to me, but I do think that the general progression is from like manual human encoding to augmented with, it's you could call it augmented intelligence, to artificial intelligence that is an agent that looks and, and, and acts and responds similar to how a human would. And even that, I think, is split into two parts. One is on the responsive, regurgitative, automative path of like things that are not super creative. It just needs to mimic like what a, almost like what you could teach an intern to do versus this next progression, which is super creative and, and coming up with a business strategy or, or whatever else it may be. That is, I would say, the, the, the furthest frontier. But I, I still believe that that's inevitable. That is absolutely going to happen. The question is just like how much time and in what use cases will that be most useful first? Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I use AI in a very similar way in the brainstorming. Yeah. Just in different perspectives, and particularly from a business perspective, so many different types of training data. So just because we're in one industry and see things this way, then an idea comes from what we would think is left field from some other training data or another industry. And it's like, wow, I never never thought about it that way. 110%. Really the analytical ability of yeah. these large language models is truly already beyond just the data processing capabilities of it's the same thing as like the compute, the calculator probably was to human beings when yes. it was brand new. You're like, no way, yes. it can't, it can't compute. Okay, and then that just becomes an accepted norm that if, of course calculators are better at crunching large numbers than human beings. That's going to be the case with a lot of analytical work that you can feed of just a way more data than you can ever give to a human being, and it's going to be able to generate patterns and synthesis and analysis that is in many ways superior to what a human being could do because it can just process so much more information. So much more information, so much Mm -hmm. faster. 
If you could give maybe one piece of advice to, maybe it's counterintuitive advice to aspiring founders, what would that be? I would say it is lean into your hubris, lean into your like (laughs) kind of ignorance and obliviousness. Because one of the main patterns I've seen is just this. And I remember the first time when I became a founder, I was like, why am I being taken so seriously right now? Like I'm 25, 26, whatever. I shouldn't be getting this. I wrote a grant that was the first money in our first company. And I remember just being like, they gave us the money? (laughs) Like what? But I put myself out there and I tried it and I acted the part and you, I really don't like the phrase fake it till you make it, but I don't have another phrase for it, but it's. It's, it is this kind of put yourself in the shoes that you want to be and you'll be surprised how often the shoes fit and how often people won't, won't even look down and realize that you're wearing shoes that are three ties, sizes too big. And because they're too distracted by your conviction, by your confidence, by what's going on in, in, in your face. But in your mind, you're just super insecure about the fact that your shoes are three sizes too, too big. And I say just embrace that. Actually, that's a superpower. Recognize that the reason why that's a superpower Mm. is because it gives you the courage to do things that someone who actually fit in the shoes would probably never think to do because conventional wisdom says that's stupid or nuts or crazy. But it turns out that it was actually a really good idea because something in the world changed or shifted or like the approach that you thought of because you came from a different context was a new and novel opportunity. And the key is to just not take yourself out of the game because you're like, oh, I don't belong on that court with those basketball players because I'm playing in shoes too big. It's not like just keep playing and recognize that there is a mismatch and that you will grow into them. And and in a lot of ways, it is a, a superpower. That's the advice that came to mind. I like that. That's really good advice. At the beginning, you mentioned Marvel Cinematic Universe, watching that with your son. Do you have a favorite character? And if you were in Marvel Cinematic Universe, who would you be? Maybe it's the same, maybe it's different. I don't know. I think the cliche answer is Iron Man. In a lot of ways, Iron Man's kind of boring because he's so predictable. Somebody who's just more like Rocket. I personally like Guardians of the Galaxy amongst that universe the most. I'm not a huge Marvel person, but we've been going through the cinematic universe and I couldn't finish Thor. I'm sorry for any Thor fans out there, but it was just so boring (laughs) to me. I don't know. And... As we keep going through, it's it's more of these like zany characters that I like the most, the unpredictable ones, the funny ones. And I, I do think that sort of lightheartedness in a lot of ways is a superpower because like a Star-Lord, a superhero, no, but he's one of the Guardians of the Galaxy. It's part of the magic right. universe of superheroes. Right. I think that those types of not real superheroes are my favorite. <laughs> That's awesome. Where can people learn more about you and about Grain online? Yeah, so we're just grain.com. It is a more expensive domain than we would have probably liked, but it's a great domain that helps us lock in our brand value. And the I'm on Twitter on Michael Glenn A, a at on, on Twitter. And then on LinkedIn, you can just find me, search Mike Adams Grain, and I actually post most on LinkedIn. So I do a decent amount of kind of like reflective thought leadership posts that I like to put on LinkedIn. In fact, I'm going to try to get one out today or maybe tomorrow. And... I think one of the things I do on LinkedIn is I just try to tell it like it is and and don't hold back. And I've made a lot of mistakes as a founder CEO as 
Um, I, I just wrote a blog post about like why I handed over the reins to a new CEO without any prodding or at no point did anybody come and ask me or point me to you know say, hey, it's time or you should. It was more just a, a, a process that I followed and, and, and felt was the right decision. And I wrote about that on my LinkedIn page. And so that's the type of content you'd find from me on there. Very good. We'll make sure to link both of those or all of those in the show notes. Mike, great conversation today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again, Mike, for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. If you don't know Grain, you should. I have no affiliate link or anything. I don't get anything free, but it has become one of my favorite daily use apps. You can learn more about Mike and Grain at grain.com. And do sign up for a free account. It's a game changer. All links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. And of course, YouTube also, where you'll find full episode shorts, training, outtakes, and quite a bit more. If you're a thought leader, share ideas, share the podcast with your peeps. Sharing makes your status go up a few notches. It helps other founders and helps the team and I accomplish our mission with the podcast as well. Everyone who shares this week gets a mute button mystery game. It's a playful challenge for your virtual meetings where one participant is secretly chosen to mute other participants at random times. The team has to guess the muter before the meeting ends. Join us Thursday on our SaaS Fuel Expert Series where my guest is Becky Lawler, the brain behind Redpoint content. We'll be talking about how to use original research and create customized B2B insights to build authority and audience. And the next Tuesday, we have founder Derek Ray. He's a multi-time SaaS founder and CEO of Demand Inc. and Lasso AI. Brand new, very cool. It's next generation data and lead analytics solution. So I'll see you next time. And as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sassfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes. Let's go.